What's up, everyone? This is Dariusz Kalbarczyk, co-founder of MG Poland and JS Poland. Welcome back to Angular Master Podcast. Together with Manfred Steyer, speaker, trainer, author from AngularArchitects.io, we discuss everything related to our favorite framework. Today, we have some special guests from Angular team, Minko Getchev. Hi, Minko. I'm so glad that you are with us today. So let's start the show. Yeah. Hi, Minko. Great that you are here. Uh, we have prepared several questions for you. And one of those questions is about NG modules. So the Angular, mod- uh, Angular team is currently working on making Angular modules optional. It has been an idea for quite a long time. And honestly, originally, it was not even planned to implement NG modules. So why did the Angular team implement them in the first place? Yeah, hi, Manfred. Uh, hi, Darius. Uh, thank you for having me. So uh, yeah, that's right. Um, I was actually not part of the team when NG modules were introduced. This was back in Angular version 2 RC5, I think. Um, I believe there were just a lot of ergonomic issues in declaring each individual dependency that a specific component is using and uh, in material specifically, for example, when you need a couple of different directives uh, and components that collaborate together and you need to have them in the compilation context of a particular component, it was very verbose and error prone to have to uh, list them one by one. So that's why uh, the modules came in to be able to group logical units together that um, and determine the compilation context of a particular component. That's that's my that's what I've heard, uh, and that's like my intuition. But still, I was not really part of the decision making process back then. I was uh, part of the um, community rather than part of the Angular team at Google. So there might be other nuances that I'm not familiar with. I see. Cool. So it seems like that making them optional now is somehow a challenge. Uh, can you tell us a bit about those challenges that arise there? Yeah, there are quite a few things that are a bit challenging. So we don't want to complicate things further. We want to keep things consistent. Um, we don't want to introduce like generally many new concepts in the framework. We want to make the ng modules concept just optional. optional. So the very first problem that we had on the in RC5, uh, being error-prone to list individual dependencies one by one, this would be a challenge as well. So this is something that we need to resolve by at the same time not uh, uh, keeping the hard dependency on ng modules for every single application. So that's one challenge. Um, another challenge is um, ng modules, they have quite a few responsibilities right now. They configure the compilation context for a particular component, so you can specify a schema. They also uh, allow you to specify which components are available in the particular context, Uh, also configure the injector, so also logically group different components. So all these different responsibilities, um, they are quite important, and we need to figure out a way to achieve the same thing Mm-hmm. without necessarily having ng modules in all the different cases. 
But still, though, we don't want to remove ng modules as a concept. We just want to make them optional for whenever the use case allows. Mm -hmm. And let's say we achieve this goal. We make it work to have optional modules. Who would you think could benefit from this? And who should stick with more traditional Angular modules? I think pretty much anyone could potentially benefit. I have talked to different customers. Some of them really love ng modules. On some conferences, on conferences we have run surveys, and half of the people uh, state about half of the people state that they really love ng modules because how it helps them think about their application and group units together. And others prefer to not use them at all. Uh, I would say that anyone could really benefit. Maybe really large uh, applications that are not following the so-called like scam pattern right now, where you have a single module per component, maybe they would benefit the most. Also, there are, everyone is going to be benefiting from improvements in the ergonomics when lazy loading individual components, let's say. You don't have to load the uh, corresponding module. You just have to load the component and it's going to contain its entire compilation context and all the different providers that are required. Um, the bootstrap process would look simpler. Uh, beginners would value would get value from this for sure a lot because this is going to be one less concept to learn. And from mm. there, they're trainers too, right? Uh, they would not have to introduce yet another concept at the beginning. Yeah, that makes totally sense. There seems to be a high learning curve. I mean, we are used to it, but people that are new to Angular could be shied off from it or could have a hard time. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And with another, I guess, um, another benefit would be that there are going to be fewer boilerplate. So folks would not necessarily have to have multiple files when they want to declare a component. Mm -hmm. uh, they can just have their components there and that's that's enough. Awesome. So can you tell us a bit how the Angular team could implement those optional modules and how it could look like for people developing with Angular? Yeah, well, this is something that we're going to share in an RFC in the next week or two. Mm -hmm. um, I don't want to spoil the surprise, really. But uh, let's say that we were thinking about the concept of having standalone components, uh, which just declare their compilation context and their providers that they depend on and people will be able to interoperate between standalone components and ng modules so that uh, anyone can get best from both worlds if they need to and both ng modules and the standalone components worlds uh, worlds like live really well together that's that's kind of the idea but there are a few other things in the design uh, it's going to be public in the next couple of weeks anyway so anyone will be able to Uh, to look at it. Awesome. So we will make sure to check it out once the RFC is available. Okay, let's switch the topic. Let's come to another topic, a topic I'm also very keen of, namely micro frontends. So rumor says you are currently collecting case studies for micro frontends. What are your current learnings so far? Yeah, the the roadmap <laughs> spreads rumors that are actually true. We have been looking into uh, micro frontends for the past couple of months. And thank you very much for 
being like so uh, uh, helpful to the team by connecting us with with folks with with whom we can exchange further. Um, we can learn more about their requirements and thank you for also giving a talk about module federation during the team meeting. That is also um, really, really helpful. So uh, we have been talking to many different customers, like 30, 40 people, right? 30, 40 uh, companies right now about their approach to micro frontends and a couple of different ideas started forming. Uh, So we're just going to describe these ideas in something like Mm -hmm. a, a cookbook, I guess, on Angular.io maybe, or in a blog somewhere. We haven't decided on the format. And from these different solutions, we're going to select one which makes sense for Angular, given all the specifics there. For example, uh, there are some challenges around the way we compile applications because the compilation instructions, they could be uh, associated with different versions of the compiler compared to, let's say, the runtime. So we want to think about all these things, how they connect well together, Pick one solution, follow up with an RFC request for comment from people to see whether this generally solves the majority of issues that people are facing with micro frontends and uh, eventually move forward with tighter integration with the CLI, potentially, but uh, not only the CLI, but the entire platform. There might be requirements in other parts of the platform as well. Uh, That's the current plan. There might not be a need to do anything also. That's that's also a potential outcome. We're mm-hmm. very much in an exploratory form, uh, exploratory uh, state right now. Awesome. Exciting times. I'm really looking forward to this uh, cookbook, as you, as you call it, because mm-hmm. it could show several options. And perhaps for some people, one option is better. And for other people, another option is more suitable. Yes. Yeah, generally, uh, yeah, we'll see how we're going to frame it exactly because it, uh, the, yeah, we may focus in the collection of articles on only applicable scenarios for Angular or we may focus on explaining just the problem space. So we'll see how exactly we're going to frame it. It's not uh, finalized just yet. Um, it should start getting into, we should start like, shaping the plan in the next couple of weeks, I guess, too. Awesome, awesome. So another topic we have prepared for you is the topic zone jazz. Uh, some people really want to go zoneless, and it's also on the roadmap. And so I'm wondering how could this work technically? How could Angular find out without zone jazz that it's time to do change detection? Yeah, many different options. So uh, we haven't had, we don't have a design for this just yet. Uh, mm-hmm. A couple of, a couple of, um, but we're working in this direction in some like slightly different um, way. So uh, a challenge with zone JS is generally that we can't understand exactly when Angular needs to trigger change detection because of a sync await. A sync await is. Uh, relatively new api um like already a couple of years old i guess which is probably considered ancient in the javascript standards um and we can't really monkey patch this api so that we can plug the angular change detection scheduling within it so that was the biggest challenge with zone.js that we wouldn't be able to ship modern bundles after um 
I think years 2017. I think that's uh, when a single weight got introduced. Uh, so, so in order too. to, uh, is that correct? Yeah, I, I think so too. Yeah. So uh, something that we um, are we did actually in order to mitigate this issue. In fact, we're going to be distributing Angular version 13 in ES 2020 bundles. So we are definitely moving forward uh, with the new standards. We just implemented the Babel transform that detects a sync await and adds the necessary uh, the necessary instructions to Angular to schedule change detection. And this already solves the problem with uh, zones and async await. Another challenge with zones is that sometimes we trigger a change detection a little bit more frequently than we have to. And for some applications with very complicated UIs, uh, very complicated bindings, this may cause some frame drops potentially. Uh, for these applications, we're going to look into alternative solutions for uh, scheduling change detection. Uh, this is still on the roadmap. Um, there are other things that are higher priority that we're currently investing in. So we haven't designed the zone solution and different people in the team, they have different ideas that we would want to consolidate and uh, share in the form of, of an RFC with the community to, uh, to get everyone's feedback. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. That sounds amazing. So um, if we look at the perspective from an Angular developer, uh, what do you think, what would change for them when they can go zoneless? Would it change the structure of the code? Uh, would there be several different benefits? Yeah, um, so people would probably not have to change their existing applications. Uh, we are committed to keep backward compatibility for sure. People who would want to take advantage of the um, zoneless way of um, developing their applications, there are a few options, I guess. Uh, they, they may even either have to explicitly mark their application for um, uh, to detect changes, um, explicitly mm -hmm. notify Angular that something happened and this may require their application to okay. uh, be detected for changes, or we could potentially uh, create proxies around uh, the state properties within the components and schedule change detection on change. Uh, I'll say the the first alternative is maybe more maybe a little bit more likely because it's a little bit more deterministic. The other one is a little bit more magical, and we might not be able to uh, proxy all the different uh, assignments that could cause change in the state. But still, uh, very early stage, um, we don't have a particular solution to give mm -hmm. hands to developers just yet. I see. Yeah, I'm really looking forward into this possible future. Awesome. Yeah. So another um, uh, thing you experimented with, the Angular team experimented with, was partial hydration. There was a demonstration sometimes and uh, just for the audience, the idea was to just download, I put it in a simple way, to just download an index HTML upfront, and then the rest could be downloaded as needed. The router, the components, and so on, could be downloaded just when they are needed and not before. So there have been some experiments. Where did those experiments uh, let you? Uh, yeah, uh, the experiments, actually, that's 
still possible if anyone want, would want to look at uh, Vikram's example. It's available, it's uh, functional for a subset of the framework. So it would not work for the entire framework, for example, with very dynamic content projection. Uh, so, um, yeah, the experiments uh, show that this is a possible use case for Angular, and uh, we are evaluating its prioritization to support it like, kind of a, as a first-party feature. I mean, as something that is directly embedded into the Angular framework and maybe universal. Uh, since it is possible with subset of the framework already, uh, this is some, not uh, something that we have uh, uh, prioritized just, just now. And also we are seeing some more impactful efforts that we can be working on. So let's say that uh, we haven't been uh, moving this idea forward. Um, and uh, there are certain challenges, as I mentioned, with content projection, which are making things a little bit trickier. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So when we look at the roadmap, there is one item there that sounds a bit like partial dehydration, partial hydration, ergonomic code splitting API, something like this. Yeah, uh, has it something to do with partial hydration or is it something different? Uh, not really. Yeah, it's mostly on the framework level. The hydration part is kind of like uh, on the boundary between your Angular Universal and the Angular Framework with the ergonomic component level called splitting. This is primarily going to target client-side applications and it is going to work with server-side server rendered applications as well. Uh, but the goal pretty much is to make it more easier for people to lazy load components. Currently, folks can still do that, uh, but it requires a little bit more code. We want to make it more like natural and uh, ergonomic. And with the optional NG modules that are coming, um, the RFC for them is coming. This is going to become even easier, I would say. Mm -hmm. And we'll oh, be able cool. to take on this effort. Great. How those ideas enforce themselves. That's, that's cool. Or enforce each other's. Awesome. So let's talk a bit about web components. Um, some people were very keen of web components for some time. Uh, with Angular 6, we already got Angular elements for just wrapping Angular components as web components or to be more precise as custom elements. And I have the impression that since then, this solution didn't evolve much. So what would you say, what's the future of Angular elements? Yeah, so we're working on some efforts that are maybe they don't seem to be directly related to Angular elements. There are more general improvements that are going to improve the Angular framework, but improving the Angular framework would also improve the Angular element support, mm -hmm. such as um, optional NG modules. This, uh, this would benefit people from both Angular elements and non-Angular elements uh, mm -hmm. circles. Um, the optional <clears throat> zone.js uh, zoneless applications. This is something that we just want to, uh, we, we haven't started designing yet, but uh, we're heading there. Uh, it's going to be the same. A lot of the challenges of people with uh, using Kangaroo elements uh, actively is uh, are there around zones. Um, so I mentioned content, uh, did, I did not mention content projection just yet, I think. We have also an item on the roadmap about dynamic content projection, I believe. 
this is also going to benefit uh, now not dynamic content projection, but improvements in the content projection. Uh, this is also going to benefit um, Angular Elements developers, specifically around like default content for content projection. These are some of the um, projects that we'll be working on that would move Angular Elements forward together with non-element use cases as well. Mm-hmm. Cool, cool. One more time, uh, one feature is enforcing another feature or enabling another feature. I really like this, how you plan yeah. and how everything comes together at the end of the day. That's that's what we've been trying to do with and that, and this applies for different Angular packages, also uh, for Angular developers, like Angular customers. Uh, very frequently, we're fo- like most of the time, let's say ninety five percent of the time, we're focused on shipping features that would be beneficial for uh, Googlers and external users, and I guess that's the power of Angular that. Everything, most of the things are shared so we can make an impact in for like either customer this way. Mm-hmm. Cool. So let's talk a bit about the near future because uh, Angular 13 will be there in some months, I guess, or some weeks. What can we expect from Angular 13? Yeah, I did a presentation about this yesterday. I can open my slides to make sure I don't forget anything major. Uh, I guess I'm excited about... So I I, I like uh, infrastructure in general. <laughs> uh, I'm excited about some build time improvements that, uh-huh. uh, with it. Um, they have been, we have been shipping them incrementally, but particularly around the optimization of the build optimizer and the optimization of the uh, our JavaScript like kind of minification pipeline. Uh, let me open the actual release, actual planning document for version 13 so that I can be even more explicit. Um, I'll, I'll share with a couple of words why I'm excited about these build tools and what they, uh, about these build improvements and what they do. Uh, so in Angular, we have this build optimizer that analyzes the uh, compiled code after the Angular compiler to uh, figure out which constructs could be tree shaken. For example, we are adding some decorators to, uh, as Angular developers, we're adding decorators to the classes so that we can uh, specify them as pipes or directives or components. And generally, decorators, they can't be really tree shaken because nobody really knows what is the implementation of the decorators. They could be producing some side effects. They could be adding properties to window, for instance. But particularly for the Angular decorators, we know that they're not producing any side effects. They're just adding metadata to the classes. So with our build optimizer, we're performing static analysis over all these different um, decorators and uh, also um, methods, uh, also functions and uh, classes coming from the Angular framework. And we're annotating them as pure so that a Tursor, our build optimizer, can get rid of them. Mm-hmm. Something changed, however, with Angular IV. And also uh, we discovered an opportunity for further optimization of uh, <clears throat> the build pipeline there. Now, IV transforms these decorators to static properties of uh, the different classes. Uh, 
So we don't we no longer really have decorators that we need to tree shake. And we also introduced Babo in, in our build pipeline, which currently allows us to move this transformation from like a custom way of detecting these things to a bubble transform. And this allowed us to reduce the build time for production applications with about 10%. Wow. Um, uh, and another optimization that we did is to replace part of the responsibilities of Terser with ESBuilt. Mm-hmm. ESBuilt is a JavaScript bundler and optimizer that is implemented in Go and it is pretty fast and does some, uh, let's say, more, more uh, like better fit optimizations for the um, Angular source code. After we pass the code to the build, uh, to the build optimizer, to the bubble transform, we're passing it to ESBuild, where we're performing variable renaming uh, and variety of different optimizations. I guess it's mostly around variable renaming there. Uh, so. ESBuilt very efficiently renames variables and also makes sure that there is no variable shadowing. So uh, variable shadowing sometimes impacts runtime performance a little because uh, of the like uh, symbol lookup. And after that, we're passing the codes to Terser for further optimizations. And this change that we're taking, we've taken some of the responsibilities from Terser and we put them to ESBuilt improve the build speed with another 10%. Wow. Wow. So it's awesome. Yeah, over temp, over 20% faster builds. Other improvements are around Webpack 5 build caching. So we're going to enable it as an opt-in, which is further going to improve build speeds. Uh, we also have Adobe font inlining, similar to the Google font inlining with it. We have been very actively working on improving the accessibility of the Angular component. So this is another feature that um, you could be expecting. This has been ongoing effort for most of the year, actually. So we are we really want Angular to be built for everyone, so that you can you can build applications that are accessible almost from the start with minimum amount of effort. And uh, there are some improvements around forms. Uh, you can currently enable and disable validators dynamically. I guess these are the main main things. Awesome. That means, to put it in another way, we just have to migrate to Angular 13 and we get immediately faster builds and tinier bundles. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's pretty accurate. Also, faster tests. Uh, the test tier down environment after each test, this is something that we're going to enable by default. We update it to TypeScript 4.4, Rx version 7 by default. Yeah. Uh, Localize is going to be now a stable API. I'm just looking at the release document right now. And yeah, um, I think these are the core things. Awesome. That's, that's really cool. People will love it, I guess. Yeah, it should be a smooth update. So what do you expect from the future of Angular? What are your personal wishes? Yeah, I w- I'm happy with how Angular has been evolving kind of gradually. Uh, we haven't had huge uh, news that are breaking for the ecosystem, and I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, I'm expecting for the, for the future of Angular to be 
Angular will be more will be minimalistic. There are going to be fewer concepts to learn. It's going to be easier to reason about, specifically composition of UIs by looking at someone's by just by looking at the template. This is thanks to the standalone components uh, that would eventually land. And also faster builds for sure. There are a couple of proposals that there is a proposal by Igor on how we can introduce more kind of locality in the computation of individual components. This is something that uh, we're discussing from the very beginning with Ivy. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm happy to see that uh, this would be something that we'll be able to move forward by having more deterministic compilation context of, for components. Awesome. Awesome. So the future is bright. So thanks for this, Minko. It was really a pleasure to talk in depth about all those topics with you. And yeah, now I'm handing over to Tarek. Yes. Thanks very much for the good questions. Yeah, so we have some, non-te- some non-technical questions for you also. And the first question, I think the hardest question, uh, is what kind of person is Minko? I am for sure passionate about doing building things and uh, passionate about making sure that um, I'm providing uh, value to people in certain capacity. It's a good question, though. I, I like yeah. it. That's uh, really aligns with the literature I've been reading recently. With I've been reading actually for a while. Uh, so I'm in, into martial arts, and from martial arts, I got excited about uh, Eastern philosophy, and I've been reading about. Uh, like different ideas and they are all about uh, kind of uh, uh, mindfulness and uh, uh, awareness. So these are very, that was an, an excellent question, which aligns really well with. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. By the way, what's your favorite food? Oh, I love ramen. Okay. Manfred, yeah. what about you? What's your favorite food? Can you hear us? Uh, yeah, good uh, question. Good question. Uh, mostly unhealthy stuff, I guess. <laughs> uh, uh, here I'm really fulfilling all the cliches. I like pizza. I like pasta. Yeah, I like also traditional Austrian food like schnitzel. Yeah, so of course, chocolate and ice cream. And uh, a lot of unhealthy stuff. So okay. <laughs> perhaps this is one reason for my issues with my weight. I'm, I'm not sure. I have to find out. <laughs> <laughs> really good picks, Manfred. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Minko, what's your favorite movie? Yeah, it, it changes over time. Uh, I've had like different favorite movies depending on... I really love Beautiful Minds, the movie, okay. the, with the mathematician. Uh, I've, liked, I've liked uh Fight uh, Club a lot. Really, I really love Ted Lasso right now, which is a TV show, but... It's just really nice. It makes me happy. And Ted Lasso is such a, a nice person. Um, yeah, I'm I'm trying to be more like Ted Lasso, actually. <laughs> okay, okay. What about Bruce Lee? Oh, he's definitely a legend. Uh, I'm reading a book right now, uh, Zen in Martial Arts, and there are a lot of Bruce Lee stories there from the okay. from the author. Okay, let's back to the Angular a little bit. So you've been well-known... Uh, community member before you joined the Angular team. What's changed for you after joining? Yeah, I became a little bit uh, more careful in shipping code. <laughs> Previously, I was just like shipping libraries every other week. 
And that was a lot of fun. But also at a certain point when I started maintaining a couple of dozens or like, uh, I don't know, I had like three, 400 projects on my GitHub, I couldn't really support and maintain all of them. And uh-huh. that's not something that we can do in Angular. <laughs> we, if we maintain something, we're taking a commitment and deprecations that are, although we have been doing them, uh, they're taken really seriously. So this is something that uh, has changed. I've, I've been a little bit more cautious in, in shipping code. Everything is... Uh, um, we just want to make sure that what we're doing, we have the commitment, uh, we have the resources, um, and uh, and it's the best thing that we could be doing because yeah, there are so many things we could be doing. Like we were discussing in the previous section with Manfred, so many different projects, and we definitely want to do all of them. Uh, but however, we need to focus on a subset of them uh, because we have like we're limited number of people. And uh, the complexity is growing really, really fast. So we want to make sure that uh, we're focused on the right things. Yeah, that's that's the best way. That's the best way to get this mess out. Yeah. So focus is king. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So how many people do you have on the Angular team? I'm not sure exactly. Maybe twenty, twenty-five, mm-hmm. spread among the different sub teams, components, framework, and. Uh, we have DevRel too and uh, tooling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you have some hints for us regarding self-organization? Yeah, I guess something that I've been doing um, and I've been finding is to be consistently like uh, useful is uh, I've been organizing my uh, my goals, I guess in separate different ways. I have some very high level goals that are more like direction that I need to be, uh, that I would want to be working uh, towards. I'm sometimes putting, I'm always actually adding annual goals, which sometimes become relevant, but often a couple of months after I have set them, uh, they're just no longer applicable. And I have done a completely completely different set of things. In Google, we are doing something similar. We're doing annual planning and we have, three-year uh, or more goals for the future. And uh, also we have objectives and key results for every quarter. I find this to be really helpful, actually. It keeps us focused on the right things and uh, it keeps us more accountable. Nobody would really, I mean, maybe, like there is no punishment culture also that that that, that which works really well. So, uh, and um, after that, um, I also love setting weekly goals for things that I would want to accomplish. And every day discuss um, with myself and my colleagues what I would want to accomplish for this specific day and keep pr- track of these things. So every day? I, uh, yeah, every day. I have uh, I have kind of a, something like a note for every week where I'm listing what I have accomplished over the, this week. And I just use a, a separator, just like three, uh, just like a, a straight line of what I have accomplished and what else I have to complete this work. And I'm just moving them from bottom to top Okay. Uh, whenever I finish something. Okay, that's, that's really good. How does a typical working day at Google look like for you? Recently, I've had quite a few meetings from, from like 5 to 15 hours, 20 hours a week. That's that, a lot of meetings sometimes. 
And this includes also conferences, checking in with people who are using Kangular. So usually it starts, let's say, around like 9.15 or 7, <laughs> depending <laughs> on whether I need to catch up with someone or um, in Europe. Sometimes I have meeting at 7. I, I don't love these, but um, okay. it's fine. Uh, or like at 5 when there is a conference somewhere else. What, what time is now? Uh, now it's 9.45. Okay. So now it's great. Uh, after that, uh, we have a daily stand-up where we're discussing what we'll be doing this day and what we did the previous. And uh, after that, usually some planning meetings and reviews of designs. There are quite a few designs that we're producing that need to make sure that I'm familiar with and uh, I'm like approving together with like other folks from the team. Um, same with pull requests, review and approval of pull requests. And uh, writing design documents, product requirement documents, and code whenever it makes sense. A lot of the in developer relations, sometimes we have other activities that are more socially oriented. So, for example, uh, reviewing developer survey results or uh, reviewing uh, feedback that we're getting from different sources, let's say GitHub, Twitter. Um, YouTube. It's pretty different, actually. That's why what I love the most in my position. That's one day I could be just heads down coding for eight to ten hours, and the other day I could be in Google Developer Studios recording a video about what's coming up in Angular. That's pretty pretty exciting uh, thing for me. Did you uh, change your style of working during the pandemic? Yeah, oh, actually, quite a lot. Looking at it right now. Uh, Previously, I, I used to work on a laptop. I've been working on it on a laptop for maybe 10 years without external monitors, without anything. And uh, for the past six months, six to seven months, I got a pretty massive monitor and I have a stand-up desk. I guess this what changed my um, style of working was that with the pandemic, I didn't have such a comfortable chair as the one I had in the office, so I started getting back pain and uh, just decided to put some investment into my uh, kind of like work equipment. So I got a stand-up desk and all these yeah. fancy equipment right now with the lights and the camera. That's most it. Aside from that, my work style has been very similar. The last question... What about what's about your work-life balance? Do you have some hints for us, for our audience? Yeah, it's very easy to. So it has been very easy for me to uh, have zero work-life balance, specifically because I'm really passionate about open source and even opening Twitter uh, or LinkedIn. That's kind of already doing some kind of work someone would message me or like uh, mention me on Twitter and I'll follow a link and I'll start reading a pull request. And um, yeah, it's very easy to get out of balance. I've been trying to be, I've been trying to have like actually, in the past I've been really, really bad in managing work-life balance. I've had 60, 70 hour week, work weeks where I've been working, I was working on my startup and after that pushing codes, open source. 
Uh, now it's uh, a little bit more balanced, I'll say. I'm trying to stick to eight, nine hours a day, almost like no work over the weekends, or if this work, it's on personal projects, something that I'm, uh, something else that I'm passionate about. And trying not to have too many integrations with my work accounts on my phone. That's a new thing that I'm experimenting with. So currently I don't have my work email on my phone and we'll see how this is going to go. Okay. Okay. You're still working on your, on your startup? Uh, no, not okay. involved in my startup anymore. Okay. Just doing some side projects, open source or uh, okay. just using Angular to build web apps. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that, that's good. Okay. Minko, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, it was great to uh, talk to you, to see you. Uh, we've met last time, I think, on NG Poland, on last NG Poland, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah you're right. It was amazing. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Manfred, my lovely co-host. Thank you all. <laughs> okay.